Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back, everyone. Hello, hello. We are still in it. You know, we hope everyone is kind of getting into the swing of the new school year. And if, you know, you're dealing with any challenges already, hopefully you're calling those IEP meetings and hopefully we can get some good collaboration going for the start of the school year. Don't feel like it's too early to do that. Absolutely not. It's definitely the time, (laughs) especially if, you know, something has happened, right? That's out of the ordinary that you weren't able to fully address with teacher or any of the staff members call that IEP meeting. Obviously it needs to be done within 30 days, but sometimes I find that they can be done a lot quicker. So for some of you that have already been in it for three weeks, we're there with you. And for those that are starting this week, Godspeed. (laughs) But I'm really excited today. And I know Amanda is excited too. I don't know why I said I, we, we are excited. We're always excited, right? We're really going to have a lot to talk about with our guest today, Melissa. Melissa, thank you so much for coming onto our podcast. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So Melissa, can you kind of give our listeners a brief introduction and, and background about your firm? Sure. Happy to. So as she kindly introduced, I'm Melissa Turnbaugh. I am a partner um, at PBK. We are the largest educational architecture firm in the country. We are honored to have that title, but with that comes great responsibility, which is what I'm going to talk about today. I am also the national education and innovation leader. So my part of the exciting part of my job is to look at where education has been and where we are going and provide kind of best practices, research, so that we are as architects and bringing to school districts, making the best informed decisions for what's best for kids, for learning, their health and well-being, and and the teachers. So thanks again for having me. Well, we are so excited to talk about this. You know, we can talk all day long about what the law says and what is required in terms of spaces, physical spaces for kids with disabilities, and also like what works best. But it's always helpful to kind of see it from the perspective of, you know, how can we do this? How can we create these spaces that are not only safe for students of all walks of life, but also how can we make them the best that we can so that it is great learning environments, productive learning environments. So from, you know, how can we make these spaces work for the kids and the teachers, but also, you know, under the umbrella of like what is legally required and what allows students to be able to access these environments. So we're, we're so excited to have you here to be able to kind of dive deeper into how that's done, what it looks like. So when you get involved with schools, are you a lot of the times trying to like rework spaces to make things work better? Obviously, we have a lot of buildings in this country that have been there for a long time. So is that a big part? Are you guys creating new spaces? What does that sure. look like? Sure. We have done both. You know, there is a lot of aging infrastructure in kind of education. And so with that, 
And, and we also have to be good stewards of resources with, you know, our clients and, you know, taxpayer dollars often, you know, funding mm-hmm. these schools. And so I think when we are designing a new campus, our heart and focus is always that this is serving all students and mm-hmm. all of their needs. I think if there are good things that have come out of the pandemic, I think it's the acknowledgement of a lot of the different challenges and, you know, some neurodiversities, physical impairment that these students are still coming to public schools and they still need the same access and opportunity as all students. And some of those have been maybe historically not as identified and now they are, right? As we mm-hmm, hear about mm-hmm. more and more kids with anxiety and things like that. Yes. It's been interesting for us as school architects of what can we do in the built environment, not to provide just the, what I would say, low hanging fruit, which is the basic of, can you access the space? Do you have physical access? But now how does this space actually help the students? You know, is there other ways that we can, here's a great example. I just finished an early childhood center in Houston and- These are four-year-olds. A lot of times this Mm -hmm, is their first mm -hmm. time coming to school, lots of anxiety, but they're also four. And so they have Mm -hmm. a lot of of rules. And so how we helped them of, you know, from getting from point A to point B is we put texture on the walls. And so we, Mm. Oh, I love that. Oh my gosh, it's so smart. And so (laughs) they can touch the walls. This is their school. They're encouraged Mm -hmm. to do it, but it also Mm -hmm. helps them as a wayfinding, a security. Yes but also Mm -hmm. that sensory stimulation that they need. That's pretty simple to do, but it's just the acknowledgement of what Mm -hmm. they're dealing with, the age Mm -hmm. that they are and how we can apply it. So I think that's one example. I'm a huge advocate for getting kiddos outside all kids Mm -hmm. and, and what that looks like. You know, we right now are working in California on a new elementary school, I guess it's an existing elementary school, but a new outdoor play space, you know, 50% of this campus's students have either special needs or, or are mobility challenged. And mm-hmm. so okay. their heart though, which I love, is that every kid in that campus should have awesome outdoor play space. Yeah. And so instead of having a separate playground or yeah, the kids can mm-hmm. get to it, can mm-hmm. access it. It's a really cool variety of play spaces, but for all kids. So kiddos in wheelchairs think it's cool and they can access it, but kids that aren't maybe challenged with that same mobility issue, they still can access it and think it's cool as well. And so that's been a Mm -hmm. really Mm -hmm. interesting project, you know, and also, you know, with rise in autism and sensory, you know, having Mm -hmm. a lot more sensory gardens and things like that, where, yeah. It's good for those kids that are heightened, but you know, if you guys, you guys are, are moms and, and understand, and I have, you know, little ones, sometimes kids are just overstimulated and they need to yeah, go out. 100%. 100%. I mean, everything that you're saying is not just for our kiddos with mobility issues, with anxiety, with like this benefits all. And right. we were just talking about how special education really, it, it's just another way of tailoring uh, the education, the curriculum to meet the unique needs of the child, but every child has unique needs. And at the end of the day, you know, at that learning center, like four-year-olds are going to be four-year-olds, right? Like, and that textured wall, like, oh my God, I could just see my daughter like falling in love with that. Right. And that's what I love about what you get to do is you get to look at a space and have that kind of thinking outside of the box, right? 
And now for generations, that playground, that textured wall is normal for, Mm -hmm. you know, it just is, which I love. I love that. That's so amazing. Hmm. I I love the, the idea for the outdoor spaces too. You know, I've been, I worked in schools before I went to law school and one of the schools I worked at had like a garden for the younger kiddos and they all participated and planted in the garden. And I've seen some schools do that now. And when I recently was looking for preschools for my son, like I really was like in love with like that idea because it's not about just like giving them the responsibility, but just the physical act. We have a garden in our backyard and my son loves going out there and doing stuff. And, but we've had to really encourage him to like, you can go in the grass and you can go in the garden without your shoes on. Like, it's okay Mm -hmm. to get dirty. It's okay to like have that grounding of having your feet in the grass. Because I think too often we have these rules set in place of like, you go outside, you have shoes on or you know, you have to, you put on regular clothes or whatnot. And I think we see that so much in schools too, of you go out these play spaces, you have to have specific shoes on and you have to like wash your hands afterwards or, you know, Oh, don't touch, don't go to that part of the yard. Don't touch that. Don't touch those walls. And I think there's so much of the do not that if we can be creating more spaces where it's like, no, it's okay. You can get dirty. You can do this. You can do that because it is so beneficial for kids to be able to explore through touch and feel. Absolutely. Well, and I think the world we're moving into is requiring kids, all of us, to be creative and to be innovative because otherwise a lot of the kind of repetitive tasks are being automated. And so Mm -hmm. if we're not giving our kids access to kind of strengthen those muscles as they're growing up and we give everything very prescriptive, they're not going to have the tools to be creative and to be innovative. And I think nature is a a space where it allows students to do that. It's unprogrammed, right? I mean, you guys have small ones. I know my kids, we have a swing set kind of in the backyard. One of their favorite things to do is to go outside and they're making me lunch out of findings in the backyard. Oh, right? I love that. Yeah. Um, they're, they're creative. So here I've given them a, you know, a tool to play on, but they are digging in the mud, but in turn, they're learning all of these wonderful things, right? They're learning about texture. They're learning about the changing of the season. They're learning about, okay, well, if I add water, what is that consistency? And if I, if I add, yeah. bottles, okay, now it's sticky. And so those are like passive learning opportunities but they're also being really creative. And so giving students to your point, I mean, which I love is giving students that opportunity to get their hands dirty, to explore gardens are the best because kids will eat things. They grow. Um, yeah. You know, get a radish, no chance. If they grew it, there's a good chance mm. they're going to eat that radish. Yep. So uh-huh. I think what you guys are doing and kind of talking about access it's giving kids the opportunity to access these things. And so I love it. I'm a huge advocate for it. And, and there's so much research about the benefits of kids going outside from their physical health, their mental health, their social, emotional, you know, coming out of the pandemic, I think we all have understood the importance of going outside and getting away Mm -hmm. from devices and tablets. And, and it's really good. It's good for their health. And especially with learning loss, they can take a break and just really kind of soak that in and it will ultimately help them in the long term. Yeah. So I can imagine some families or some administrators might be listening to this and be like, this is all well and great when you have these budgets to do so and do all of this and do remodels and X, Y, and Z and not, you know, all schools have that. 
Are there things that schools can do that are, you know, if they're on a budget or if they only have a small amount of funding or maybe even utilizing things that they already have, what are some things that schools can do to, you know, improve their spaces in that way? I think like getting outside is probably the most economical solution and it doesn't have to be complicated. I mean, it can be as simple as, you know, providing access on a path and some, you know, seating and just, again, enjoying nature. I think kids getting outside, that can be really low hanging fruit, you know, lunchtime. Are there benches outside? They could go have lunch. You know, I think as adults, we're a lot more temperamental about, oh, the weather and it's a little humid or it's cold or kids are much more resilient and they almost always choose to go outside. So in terms Mm -hmm. of cost, that is probably the most economical square footage. I think inside, you know, there's a lot of things you can do. I think kind of an assessment of your campus of, you know, what is accessible, what is not, and what am I trying to achieve? You know, what is the thing that my campus is either struggling with? that if, you know, what is the one thing I'm going to achieve? If, if it is, you know, again, sensory, is there a closet? Is there a room that they can rethink pretty economically and change the lighting, have a sensory, a quiet sensory space where students can retreat? Um, a lot of, there's a lot of funding I've seen of people that have a, a heart and a passion for this, that they mm-hmm. might, you know, look at your local businesses and partners for something like that, they might help sponsor that. They might mm. donate, you know, a swing or they might donate a water wall or they might donate the, you know, textured wall covering for your corridor. So I think yes. there's a heart for this and especially with giving kids access and meeting their needs. And so I would advocate to tap into those resources, but also try to understand what is maybe your biggest challenge and hurdle and how can you overcome it? or the inverse, what would have the broadest reach for the campus so that maybe you're meeting more kids' needs that aren't even identified and giving kids access and opportunities. So I'd say there's a myriad of ways you can help that. And you're right, not every school has that same access and same opportunity, but it doesn't mean that you can't um, can't make kind of some dramatic change. And I would also say tap into your passionate parents because- mm-hmm. You know, I know if, if my kid's school has an ask, I will roll up my sleeves and <laughs> right. planting or painting. I mean, mm-hmm. am I expert at any of this? No, but, you know, passionate parents can get a lot done. And so tap into those resources as well. And obviously, if they're planning ahead, you know, enlist, enlist the right team of advocates, community members, architects to help plan for the future and maybe create the master plan and, and do one project as a, a test fit, show the success and get people's buy-in so you can create a master plan for the future that is meeting your ultimate long-term goal. That's great. You know, I think there is always a lot more we can do when we kind of join together. And so just like if you're a parent, thinking, you know, let me reach out to a teacher or a staff member, maybe other parents, the PTA or the school board, you know, it has to start somewhere. You might not have administrators that are, are thinking along those lines. They might be so focused on test scores and, you know, teacher shortages and all of that. So sometimes they might need a little push from parents, but, you know, I think if you bring it up as this would be really beneficial or how can we, 
you know, re-innovate our space, I think you're going to find a lot more people who are interested. And then, yeah, you know, there's always going to be those passionate parents and, you know, even maybe some teachers or, you know, maybe the PE teacher who is really crappy. You just never know until you ask or bring it up. So that's a great suggestion. Well, and good ideas are contagious, right? If one campus creates something and it's, it's exciting and successful and they see are reaping the benefits, that great idea will quickly spread. And that's what you hope, right? You hope that these great ideas that are providing access for students are contagious. And then every campus has them because they see the benefits and then ultimately mm-hmm. have that equity and parity across campuses, district. So that it's not just certain kids going to certain schools, but that everyone has that opportunity. I mean, it's just like that one thing. (laughs) It could just even be covering those fluorescent lights in a classroom that I know a lot of teachers do. And then, you know, kind of seeing that and then having that seed and then watering it and taking care of it and really just creating that type of environment that you want. Oh man, Melissa, we could talk to you (laughs) all day. I think it's so fascinating, right? Because we've seen a lot of the inside of a lot of schools, not as much um, since the pandemic, but it sounds like you are kind of all over the nation. You were just in Texas and you were talking about California. If people wanted to get a little bit more information or just kind of wanted to reach out to see how they could get your firm involved, you know, maybe you connected to their school board, what can they um, contact you? Where can they um, ask you some questions? Sure. Well, our our website is www.p as in Paul, b as in boy, k.com. They could also, and just that would be able to access all of our offices across the country. I would be happy to talk to them as well. Again, this is my personal and professional life and passion. And so they could email me directly. It's my name, Melissa, M-E-L-I-S-S-A dot Turnbaugh, T-U-R-N-B-A-U-G-H at pbk.com. And I'd be happy to connect with them, talk with them about, you know, micro or macro, how they can kind of transform education to really help their students. And I'd love the opportunity. It's This is a really exciting time in education across the country with kind of the acknowledgement of and recognition mm-hmm. of different learning styles, mm-hmm. um, different needs of, of kids. And so anything we can do to help their kind of vision become a reality is a huge opportunity. So happy to help in any way I can and look forward to meeting new people in new parts of the country with their own challenges and seeing how we yeah. can, can work together to overcome them. Absolutely wonderful. It just the work that you're doing, it's just again for generations, right? It's going to affect in such a positive way. And we're just so grateful to you um, and your time for coming on today. Thank you so much, Melissa. Thank you guys. I appreciate it. All right, listeners, we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.